Hey guys, welcome to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Rosenbaum, and I am so super excited today to welcome Stephanie McPhail to the podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, so so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so I'm so thrilled. So I heard you on another podcast and immediately I was like four words in. I'm like, this woman is from Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> so we must live close to each other. I could tell just by the way she speaks. Um, and, and I need to know her. I need to have her in my life because I really, I, I find when I hear like a powerful woman, all of a sudden I'm like, it's like a magnet, right? Like I need to find this woman. So I did. Mm-hmm. I stalked you. I hunted you down and now you're on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's funny because we really are. We're like a half an hour apart from each other. Yeah, it's so crazy. And and it doesn't surprise me at all. Like I said, four words in, I was like, I know this woman. She lives <laughs> around the corner. I got there. I got her. So, all right. <laughs> We're having our little love fest. So before we do that, let's tell everybody who you are, what you do, and why I love you so darn much. <laughs> well, um, so my name is Stephanie McPhail. I help brilliant women date up. And I got an expertise in that because I did a lot of dating down. I'm sure none of you can, you know, feel any kind of association with that whatsoever. I'm sure you've all dated the most wonderful, amazing people in your lives. <laughs> but I definitely, definitely did not. And of course, I know most of you did not either. Um, I started out with a very unhealthy relationship and they just kind of continued. And the last unhealthy relationship was my first husband who ended up strangling me on our wedding night. And it was one of those experiences where I had seen red flags. I knew that there was some things I should be scared about, but I decided to stay anyway. And so I was 29. I thought I was getting older and I wanted to settle down and have a family. And I thought if I can just put those things to the side and maybe make some few changes on myself, things will be okay because you're going to have to deal with someone's might as well be his. On paper, he seemed like the right fit for me. So, you know, long story short, obviously he was not the right guy because he chased me around. So I live in Long Island. We live in Long Island. There's a place called Ohika Castle. And Ohika Castle is like the place people get married. Like pe- like famous people from all over the world come to Ohika Castle to get married. So this was a, a dream come true for so many people. And instead of it being that, it was my worst nightmare because he did chase me around the honeymoon suite for four hours and then culminated with throwing me on the four post bed and strangling me till I lost the ability to fight back. Which is, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. When you tell you, so you, um, when I hear you tell this story about that you, and I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, please tell me, I don't want to do that. But when mm-hmm. you, you saw sort of the darkness in his eyes, right? Yes. It was like, and he just sort of then snapped out of it Thank when goodness. you sort of let go, right? You yep. kind of let go. You couldn't fight him anymore. Yeah. And thank goodness he got off of me and the look on his face, it was like he had come back. I mean, for, for hours, he had this darkness in his eyes telling me he wanted to kill me and made the worst mistake of his life. And then once he saw me not, not struggling anymore, he got off of me and he walked away and then was really quiet for a little while. And I just curled up in a ball and started crying and thinking, oh my God, like I had just married this man and he tried to kill me on our, on our wedding night. And, you know, no one can see Jen right now, but she's wearing a a shirt that has French writing on it. And I had family from France that was there visiting. I mean, my mom is from France. So we had all this family from Europe, from all over that spent so much money to get there to come and support me. And here I was getting married to this person that was a nightmare. And I, I was so embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was, I mean, every word you can think of. And he was such a good salesman. He knew all the right words to tell me to say, hey you know, everyone was here. They know, you know, 
how much money you spend. They know, you know, all, whatever they, whatever he could say and do to make me feel bad and manipulate me. And he got me to stay. And so we went on our honeymoon. It took me a few days to kind of relax a little bit. And then, you know, it would have been a fairy tale ending if he had changed, but they don't very easily unless they decide to make a change themselves. And so about three months in, you know, he started throwing things, threatening me. And for the next five years, I was strangled again. I was pushed. I'd be woken up in the middle of the night, screaming, yelling in my face. He would call the police. He would wake up, you know, wake me up by throwing, taking like um, drawers and dumping them out on the floor, waking me up in the middle of the night when I'm supposed to be at work, not letting me sleep, pulling the sheets off me. I mean, it was just, you know, crazy world. And that's what my life became until one day I was working a second job, trying to make some extra money because I was the breadwinner. And he decided to quit his job. And when I told him to go get it back, he told me that I was not supportive and, you know, basically told me to go screw myself. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I am not putting up with this man who is making me feel this badly when I'm the one doing everything and anything I can think of to make this man happy. I can't do it anymore. And luckily I had made arrangements ahead of time with a friend who he didn't really know. So I kind of went into hiding for the next few months to just get away and make him see that there was no chance of reconciliation. Hmm. So what, I'm so curious, what about that point made you say, I'm done when you're telling me strangulation, pushing, torture, but then he told me that he's not getting his job back and I, and I snapped, you know, and I was like, I'm done. So what is, it was just the straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. And I think, you know, my parents didn't exactly have the best relationship growing up. And, you know, my mom had said to me at one point, she said, Stephanie, do you want to live this way for the rest of your life? Do you want this to be, you know, when you're 80 years old for this to have been your life? And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is my mom telling me from her perspective that she's not happy that she stayed in the marriage with my father and that she feels like she wasted her time. And I thought, oh God, I do not want that to be my life. And I think that her saying that and then having him just once again, not appreciating anything that I was doing, I just said, you know what? I don't. I'd rather be alone than have to deal with this. And for a long time, alone was really scary. Alone was like, oh my God, you know, I, I was gonna, I was 34. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to have children. I'm not going to have a family. I'm not going to have all those things that I wanted. But it got to the point where I said, I'd rather be alone than feel so alone being with this man who could kill me at some point. Mm, that's such a good point. So I was going to ask you about that next, about being alone, because I think sometimes in these uh, abusive relationships, it can be almost like an addiction. Like you're almost addicted to the person who's abusing you, which is why it's so hard to leave. Like I've read a lot about trauma bonding. So it's easy for everybody from the outside to go, okay, I don't understand why you would put up with that. If somebody did that to me, I would just be out of there. Yeah. But yeah. it's not like somebody wakes up one day and pushes you and then you're out. You know, it's like, it's like a manipulation over time and things happen and, and there's mm -hmm. a, a certain bonding, you know, with the person who's abusing you and being alone can be really scary. It is. And it's, it's so, I remember someone saying to me that I enjoyed the drama and I remember being so angry because I didn't enjoy the drama. I didn't enjoy any of it. However, it's like when people pledge sororities and fraternities, they make it really difficult. So then when you get in, you made it into the club and it's like the cool kids club that do everything different than everybody else. So in my mind, you know, people that had said to me, well, the first year of marriage is difficult. In the beginning, it's always hard. And all of those kinds of things just reiterated, well, it's just hard. We have to figure each other out. Not telling other people that the other things were physical abuse. I mean, mm -hmm. some of the things were really bad and I did, it wouldn't, 
click for me until I actually spoke to a domestic violence person that strangulation was going to kill me more quickly than getting punched in the face. I, I wasn't getting bruises. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting black eyes or broken bones. So in my mind, I wasn't getting physically abused, even though, again, from the outside, that makes no sense, but it was my coping mechanism. And you get used to coping. So you just, you're, you're just kind of like the frog boiling in the water. You know, you don't, you don't jump out. You're just getting used to it and saying, hey, this is kind of warm and cozy because this is what I'm used to. I would throw him out. He would, quote unquote, make changes, and then he would come back. And then be the same exact person, but worse than he ever was before, because he lost respect for me when I let him back in. Mm. And so counterintuitive where you're like, oh, well, you throw him out. So he, you know, would try harder only until he got back. And then once he got back in my good graces, it would all go back to the way it was before. And it would just get worse every single time I let him back in. But I have to say, I was used to him fighting for my love, fighting to get back into the relationship. So we were just used to the back and forth. I'd throw him out. We would fight. He wouldn't talk to me. We would go back and forth. But then there would always be one of us trying to get, I mean, there were times where I was the one begging him to come back. Mm. You just get used to what you know. Yeah. It's so, it's so important. And I think, you know, for anybody listening out there that's in this situation, it could be super eye opening. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I, I hope so at least. And this is why I felt such an urge to get you on the podcast, because I know that this is going on in many different ways, physically, emotionally, in many relationships. And sometimes it's happening right under your nose and you don't even know it, mm-hmm. you know, especially with, I think a more so emotional abuse than physical abuse, obviously, you know, with physical abuse, it's pretty clear and still hard to get out. But with emotional abuse, it's even harder sometimes to acknowledge and, and understand it. Well, they make you, they call it gaslighting for a reason. You know, they make you question everything. And then they'll turn around and say that things didn't happen that you know did. And they start, you start really questioning your sanity Mm -hmm. and they really know how to manipulate. My best friend is a psychiatrist. I mean, we've been best friends since seventh grade. She didn't know a quarter of the things that I was dealing with until I did my first podcast telling my story. And she said that she locked herself in a bathroom and cried because she had no idea that I was going through that. And that I was so afraid to tell her as a psychiatrist, that's what her, her job mm. was to help people. And I said, well, because I didn't think that you would understand because she had parents that got along really well. She was in a really healthy, loving relationship. And I really felt like healthy relationships were not for someone like me. Mm. I, was, I was not going to have the ability. I thought that I was the reason why these men became bad, that I was causing them because of who I was to behave badly. So in my mind, why even tell anybody because I was still in it and it's kind of my fault that they're behaving this way. And a lot of it was subconscious. I don't think I really, really could verbalize that at the time, but that was what that, that underlying feeling was, is that this is my fault. They're never, I'm never going to have a relationship where I feel good and happy. So I've got to just deal with this and try to make it work. Mm, So, okay. So that brings me to the question of how you broke that cycle because spoiler alert, you're married to a guy that you absolutely adore and love and (laughs) you have a family and you've done all the things that you wanted to do. Um, so how, how did you break that cycle? Well, you know, I, I say to my clients all the time, you feel the fear and do it anyway. I've just had that, that pep talk, I think, you know, three times in the past few hours already today, you get so used to the uncomfortable, you get so used to what you know is not good for you, but it's just what you know. And so when I made that decision to leave, I made a decision to change my life. 
And in doing that, I really, I got the amazing therapist that understood me because sometimes we have therapists and they're not really the best therapist for us. They might be good for someone else, but not for you. So you get that really great therapist that understands you and us strong, independent women, we feel like we can figure it out on our own, which a lot of times we've got the right idea, but a little bit off. So we need someone who's on the outside, who's an expert to say, uh, you got to really tweak this. This is, you know, this isn't working so great. So I did that. And I really right away knew I wanted to help other women who had been in unhealthy relationships, but I didn't really know what that was going to be. So what I did was I hired a coach who happened to be a business coach. So it was, you know, but it was helpful enough to just be accountable to someone and let her know what I was doing. And, you know, between that and then hanging out with friends that were healthy, I started to go through the people that if I felt drained being around them, I didn't allow myself to spend time with them. And I started to really look at my relationships with other people. And I started to say, or learn boundaries. I didn't learn what a boundary was till I was 34. Like mm. you can tell people what you need and they're supposed to respect that. <laughs> By the way, you and me both. And this is like a, uh, this is something I really worked on a lot in, in 2019. Like, you know, this is a, uh, something that I'm writing a lot about now and I'm, I'm doing a lot of things that people don't even know yet. They don't, they, I haven't put it out yet, but it, I'm going to be talking a lot about boundaries and all that. Something I really learned in 2019 and like, why aren't they teaching that in health class or something? I mean, you know, I'm learning about the civil war. That's wonderful. But like, why are you not teaching me how to manage my own life? You know, it's like, well, in schools and, and I see it now, even like I have a 14 year old daughter who's in high school. Mm-hmm. boundaries are a thing. I mean, oh, they need to be taught that, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. it's fascinating to me. Now, I mean, it's not the school's responsibility solely, but I mean, as a parent, I'm trying to teach it, but why is it not, why is there not a bigger education around boundaries? It leads to such healthier relationships. It really does. And so, you know, my background is crisis counseling, psychology. I have a double master's in health and education. So I've been in, in health education specifically for 17 years. Um, I teach all of my students meditation. We talk about c- communication, boundaries, all those things, because those are really important. So I w- I've seen from 11 years old until 80, what happens when we don't work with boundaries, when we don't work with assertive communication, you know, and I see kids, I mean, that's amazing. You see this 16 year old girl who's fawning over this guy who's treating her terribly and she's doing everything she can to keep him around and then feels terrible when he goes and sleeps with somebody else. Mm-hmm. But that 17 year old girl, if she doesn't get the right support, that's going to be the 35 year old woman or the 50 year old woman, or, and then they're going to have kids and all these other experiences. And then of course, there's a lot of health issues related with suppressing your feelings. So then that becomes a huge issue that you have to deal with as a side effect. You're talking to a breast cancer survivor. I know. I mean, this is why, you know, for me, boundaries have been so important because I took, you know, about six or seven months ago, I started really taking toll of my life, my relationship, my family unit, my health. And I realized the toxicity was mm-hmm. not just coming from everything outside. There was so much inside, not being able to speak my mind and not setting up those boundaries and not telling people what I needed and, and being, you know, I dealt with codependency issues, lots of things that mm-hmm. I've had to fix. And I, so I hear you, you know, when you talk about the uh, physical ailments of the body, it's very closely connected. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm actually going to be working with, I forgot the name of the organization, but it's an organization that helps educate young women about uh, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And so they had contacted me and said, Hey, we want to share what you're saying with the people that follow us. And I was like, yeah, of course, because, you know, in my healing program, we, we look at the physical, 
the social, the emotional, and the spiritual aspect of, of healing and health. Because you're really, you know, like when you're working on a muscle, you work on it from a, diff- a bunch of different angles. But when it comes to healing, we don't just work on the emotional part. It's all different, all the four different parts that need to be really worked on. And, you know, there needs to be some more balance in there because we're out of balance and it's, it's noticing, we're seeing the differences in the problems in our bodies. Mm. And so the title of your book is um, Being Love Shouldn't Hurt, right? Did yep. I get that right? Okay. Being mm-hmm. Love Shouldn't Hurt. And so I love that, that because that falls right into what we're talking about right now. When you're in a relationship that's not working the way you need it to be working, you feel it in your body. It's not mm-hmm. just, you know, you might not be able to put a, a finger on it or say something, you know, you might say something's not right here. I'm not sure what it is. Something feels off. Yeah. Your body is the first thing that probably is going to tell you this isn't good. What's going on here? Yeah. I, um, when I was in my unhealthy marriage, so I'm going to be 42 next month in, de- in December. And I'm not sure when this is coming up, but December 16th, if you want to say happy birthday to me happy later. But, um, I mean, I was when I, so I left when I was 34 and I had back issues that were so bad, I would lose, like my leg would just give out and I would have this excruciating pain in my lower back. I, um, my thyroid was failing. The doctors had said to me, listen, you've got polycystic ovarian syndrome and it's going to be very difficult for you to have children. And I said, well, I'm not looking for that right now anyway, because I'm with someone who's abusive. So I'm not having any children with him, luckily. And, you know, there was, there was all these things. I had rainoids, so the tips of my fingers would get cold and numb. And so I had all these weird ailments. And I can tell you at almost 42, I have zero of those issues. My thyroid, completely no problem. No rainoids, no back issues. No, I'm noticing... I, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old now. So today I picked up my three-year-old when he refused to, for me to comb his hair and then cried for the next 15 minutes because I didn't comb his hair. But I picked him up and now my shoulder hurts. But I'm like, oh, I forgot what it's like to have those body pains, you know? But those were that was a part of my life. That was every day I was living those things. And luckily, I got out in time before they really started manifesting in a worse way. But I've seen other people that have had, my best friend works with people who are, um, having different health issues. And she says that, uh, you know, arthritis, lupus, autoimmune diseases, those are all very much related to our emotional health. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I always tell this story about how I was in a yoga class once and, and the teacher said, is anybody new here? Anybody have any injuries? You know, and a woman said, oh yeah, I have a hip injury. And she said to the woman, how's your relationship with your mother? And the woman immediately started hysterically crying, like an instant burst, you know? And I was like, she was like, how did you know? And she was like, fix your relationship with your mother. Your hip will be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was like, but it's so true. It's yep. so true. It's amazing. Yep. But, okay. So here's one of the things that you said, actually, that um, I wanted to ask you about. You're, it's funny how I hear you say things like, I didn't have kids with this guy because he was abusive. So in the moment, you're even making conscious decisions of like, I can't be here forever, even though I'm here now. So sometimes it's not just like, it was almost like you had already decided, well, this isn't forever, even though I'm here now, this isn't going to, I'm not bringing kids into this. I'm not, even though you wanted them. Yeah, I wanted them, but I knew that how I was feeling, I didn't want to bring kids into that. And I know that there were women out there that are saying, you know, well, I I did and I feel really guilty about it. So let me just allow you to release that guilt. Your children came to you because they needed you. They needed the lessons that they're learning from you. And I get how much more difficult it is because I work with women all the time that have children with people that were not healthy for them. So I just give you so much more credit for being the warrior women that you are because you are. So please do not feel guilt and shame for that at all. I was lucky and it made it easier 
for me um, that I didn't have children. And I, re- I just remember watching him interact with certain people and, and, you know, with animals and little children and things like that. And I thought, I cannot allow that to happen for me. I know that there's something else out there. And so, you know, and there was a point where, you know, we were allegedly trying, but I remember, you know, I'd gotten off the pill and I remember one of my friends saying, oh my God, please don't have a child with him, Stephanie. Like this would be the worst thing in the world. And there was, my, my initial response was, well, you know, it would give me a better reason to leave. And then my friend said at that point, you'll never leave him if you have a child with him, he will always be there. And so I needed a little bit of that reality check because I was like, if I do leave, cause I, I was planning it for a while. If I do leave, I don't want to have to deal with him anymore. Mm-hmm. So there, there was that. And I, and I thought, I really want to make sure, you know, I don't think that these babies, this is going to be their daddy. So I, I just had that feeling innately. Like I knew even, you know, it's kind of funny. I talk about when I first started dating my now husband, I had said to him, I said, you know, there was a little female soul that wanted to come to me. And I said, but she didn't want to come to me before. And I said, for some reason, now that we're together, I can hear her again. Like she, she wants to come out. And so he was like, okay, well, I think we should have a family together. I was like, oh, okay. You know, it was like one of those things that we both felt at the same time. And so when we first got pregnant, we thought it was going to be a girl, but it wasn't. It was a boy. Our second child was the girl. So we're like, all right, there you go. There was that little soul, but she didn't want to come out. And, you know, as, as weird as that might sound, I had that little angel, that little voice telling me, I want to come to you, but not this way. Mm, yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that you can, so you were like really still listening to your intuition and, and your spirit or whatever you want to call it, higher power, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Even though you were going through all of that, you're able to still stay connected. To well, that. I was trying, but I would mute it sometimes. Right, right. <laughs> well, and, and we all do, right? Because mm-hmm. our gut, I, I just made a post about this on Instagram today. Like stop listening to your head, listen to your gut because your mm-hmm. ego lives in your head and your ego is dumb sometimes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Your ego doesn't make proper decisions. But if you really listen to your gut, which is really hard to shut off, it's really strong. And I think that when we start feeling those illnesses, it's because we're suppressing that gut. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, really your gut holds the key to your health, right? Mm -hmm. Like any scientist, any nutritionist, any doctor will tell you that. So when Mm -hmm. you, you know, shut off that intuition, then it's like, really, you know, you're in in deep (laughs) shit. Like I can't even listen to my intuition right now because it's telling me something that my ego is fighting and, you know, it's, it's messy. Well, and, and women are so well trained at taking care of everybody else. And I've been saying this quote lately. If you, if you don't have time to take care of yourself, what you're saying is that you don't matter. And that's kind of a hard thing to say because I would hope you do think you matter and you know that you should matter. But as women, we're taught, take care of the children or take care of your husband or take care of the job or take care of all the other things that are going on there. When if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to do good, a good job at any of those things. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you know, I always say to clients, at least 15 minutes of self-care every single day, look for your joy every single day, you know, have that excitement. We were, we were put on this earth to have joy and to play. If this is not play to you, then you need to relook at what you're doing because it should be fun and playful and exciting and interesting. And if you're constantly in survival mode, 
it can't be any of those things. Mm. It's such a good point. I, I emailed back and forth with a woman this morning. I get a lot of messages from people who are going through breast cancer because I put out a lot of videos and a lot of photos and information. Mm. And she just said to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm fighting here. I'm fighting. And, and it's not, her cancer is not something that she's going to die from. She's, she's going to be okay. Um, but, you know, I, I keep looking at this uphill battle that I have to climb. And I just said to her, same thing. What do you do that, fi- that brings you joy? It mm. is okay to be a cancer patient and still have joy. Yes. I'm giving you permission to do that mm-hmm. and to do things that make you happy because really at the end of the day, that is all that really matters is yeah. having that joy and having that release. Otherwise, then you're just a cancer patient and you're in survival mode all the time and that's toxic to your body. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. You're living now. So living in that moment and saying, you know, yes, we're, we're the history and we got to think of the future, but we can't live in those places because those aren't happening right now. So really thinking about being in the moment, having that actual appreciation for the moment that you're in, even if it's difficult and saying, Hey, I'm lucky enough to be going through this difficult time right now. Mm-hmm. And then I can look at for the lessons, you know, what did I learn from that difficult moment that I had or that I'm having right now? And it's, you know, the, the yoga flow is knowing that there's this up and down and not trying to force something that's not there, allowing it to be what it is, just experiencing it without trying to push too hard against it learning from what you you need to learn from and then moving forward from that. But if, when you try to resist it and you try to live somewhere else, then, then exactly where you're at, that's when you start to have issues. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So the thing is about all of this, like living in the moment and this peaceful feeling that I'm experiencing right now and you're experiencing right now is wonderful and great, but people that are in abusive relationships or in toxic relationships or whatnot, they might be thinking, okay, yeah, it's easy for you to say you're out of it. So let me ask you a question. What is one to three pieces of advice you can give to somebody that's looking to get out of an abusive relationship uh, that needs help, that doesn't know where to turn? One of the best resources that I can refer you to is calling your local domestic violence shelter. I think that they are amazing. They're, they're you know, whether it's a shelter or a hotline, anyone that, and if you can call 1-800-LIFELINE, they're a really good number to have. Speaking with someone who knows the system locally for you, they can help you if you don't have education, if you don't have the money to get out, they can help you with all of those things. And I know that nobody ever wants to be the person living in a shelter, but if it's your life at stake or your parents or your children's life at stake, and some people will say, well, my, ch- my child's life is not at stake. Well, if, if they are witnessing, I had someone this happened to today, they posted a picture of the entire house being destroyed where their partner got into a fit of rage. So no one got hurt physically, but their 10-year-old was woken up by this crying and, and witnessing the after effect. So that's damaging. And not only is that damaging, but that's long-term. And then if you stay, you're saying that that's okay. And that child, now you're now creating another person that's going to continue that family tradition of unhealthy relationships because it really is normally a family disease mm-hmm. or family illness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Local domestic violence shelter, definitely for sure. Um, one, another thing I would recommend is come up with a plan. Think about, you know, putting a few dollars aside, co- contacting local friends and saying, hey, can I contact you if something major happens? Can I come stay with you for a few days if that's what I need to do? But, you know, looking at making copies of your marriage certificates and, and any medications that you have, just letting people know that there might be a time for an escape and being prepared for those things. And, you know, for me, it was reconnecting to my female friends. I had lost a lot of my relationships 
And so reconnecting to those, those female friends, those support systems, maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe, you know, maybe it's just looking for finding passions, things that you enjoy doing. So maybe taking a class or look at what you're able to do and do those things because it'll help you have that support system. If you don't have the right team, there's a better chance that you're going to go back to it or that you're not going to have the right support to make it actually work. So you really want to have the right team on your side. Great, great, great advice. So I want to talk a little bit about you're out of the relationship. You spend time alone to heal, obviously, right? This is mm -hmm. one of the big things I know you talk about that you spent a lot of time alone to the point where you were like, I don't even really know if I want to be with somebody ever. <laughs> this is so great. Um, and I love that because I think falling in love with yourself is so important, especially when you go through difficult times. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of think it, I, I call that period of my life the awakening. Mm. And so I really, I didn't realize I was in a dark place until I got to the light. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I was in that, that lightness where all of a sudden I swear the colors were brighter, the sounds were, were better. I mean, more clear, everything was just better. And so I started to, I recommend everyone to read the book, Celestine Prophecy. I love that book, but it talks about how, when you go towards what feels right, it's just a lot easier. And when you're trying to force what's wrong, it is automatically more difficult. So I had read Celestine Prophecy and I started to really actually follow those teachings. And I said, okay, if it feels good, Good, I'm going to do it. So I started to do the things that felt good. And I mean, and everything started to just be like, wow, this is what life is, is it's back to, because, you know, I remember when I was in my late teens and early twenties where I was like, anything's possible and everything was exciting and different and, you know, all those great things. And then these unhealthy relationships, I mean, it was 15 plus years of just one after the other, after the other unhealthy relationship. So here I was like, oh, I'm 35, I'm 36, I'm 37. And things just keep getting better and better and better where I thought it was just people would say, well, you get older and life just gets boring. No, it's because I was not in a healthy place. So going towards things and doing things that made me feel good. So when I did finally meet my husband, I was kind of dating, but thinking, hey, I'm not really looking for anything serious. I'm just going to kind of see, but I, I had this idea in my mind, if I was going to date, these are the things that I would want to have in a relationship. And I had dated this one guy who was amazing in so many different ways, but he was a hunter. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> and he did, yeah. And he did one of those things that was just made me love him more. And I will forever be grateful for it is that he said to me, I mean, and we didn't date for very long, but he was such a gentleman. And at one point he said, listen, he's like, you and I get along so great. It's so weird that you were put in my journey. He said, because we're in so many ways different being that I'm a hunter. He said, but I, I want you to, to know that this is what I think about the way things are going with us. You and I will end up getting married and have children. Like that's the way it's going. Cause I really have such a strong connection with you. He said, but you're a vegetarian. So when I'm out hunting, which I'm going to want to do, you're going to feel bad that I'm out killing an animal. Cause that's what you're going to be thinking about. He said, so I will stop going out hunting because I wouldn't want to make you feel bad. And then I'll resent you for not being able to go do something I enjoy. And then we're going to just have all these problems in our marriage. So to keep all of those things from happening, I think we need to end the relationship now. And it was such a, like a smart, sweet, thoughtful thing to say and do. And I respected him so much for it. And I said, you know, I'm not sure if you're making a mistake or not, but I appreciate you ending it like this and saying that this is that we have to end. And so that was such a great thing because once I experienced that, I was like, wow, there really are healthy, wonderful men out there that can talk about their feelings and look at reality and be respectful and all those kinds of things. 
So once I experienced that, I was like, all right, I'm going to add that to my list. I need someone who really knows who they are and respectful and all that kind of stuff. So when I, I met my husband, things were so great. I started looking at my list that I had mentally made. And at one point I actually made the list, but you know, it was in there in my brain and I was like checking off all the things. And one of the final things I, I had added on there was like, I think it could be bald. And I just remember like in my twenties, I was like, I would never want a bald guy. You know, it was, it was something that I didn't really want to date. And so I added that for some weird reason. I'm like, I think I could date a bald guy. He was bald. And I was like, all right, you know, but he had these big blue eyes and he was a musician. He was very spiritual and well-spoken and talked about his feelings. And, and he wasn't from Long Island, which for me was on my list. <laughs> which I understand. Yes. <laughs> and some people out there will too, but yeah. 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 And so I, he had all these things and I was like, okay, he's really great, but I just, I, I don't think I'm ready. So let me break up with him. So I, I did that in my mind three times where he came to visit me from upstate from, well, he wasn't, he was Westchester area, but from Long Islanders at substate. So he was coming and I said, you know, I think that I, I don't know what I need to do with you. And he looked at me with his big blue eyes every single time. And I'm like, forget it. Let's just go have fun. And then every, that last time where I almost broke up with him, I said, I feel like I'm missing out on something major if I end this relationship with you. And he said, you know, I will never force you to be anything or do anything that you don't want. So if you don't want me around, I'll leave. And if you want me around, know that that's what I want too. And I was like, thank God, because he didn't pressure me. He didn't push me. And he allowed me, we were friends. So I was dating other people the whole time. You know, he just let me be me, didn't try to control it. I was like, wow, this, I'm actually experiencing what I had seen in my friends' healthy relationships and seeing, hey, you actually can be with someone who elevates you and doesn't try to pull you down. And that's what I'm looking for. And then things just went there. And we, you know, we've been married for four and a half years. We have a almost four-year-old. We have a one-year-old daughter. And it's amazing. And I think back and say, who was that person that allowed all that? He says, he's like, I, knowing you, it's amazing that you allowed any of that to happen. And he's like, because now I wouldn't. The person I am now would never allow that to happen. But who I was then allowed it. But, and it also, but it brought me to him. Had I not gone through all those experiences, I wouldn't have been able to appreciate him and find him, find each other. We actually broke up with our exes around the same time, which is interesting too. But yeah, we would have never found each other had we not gone through the lessons we, we went through. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, always the moral of the story, right? It's something I talk about also through infertility and cancer and all of that, all of the blessings that have come about mm-hmm. from all of that. And it sucks that you have to go through hard stuff, but yeah. you know, the, the truth is it's, it's also a decision. And if you're in a relationship right now where you're struggling or it's an abusive relationship, it, it is a decision, you know, it mm-hmm. is a decision and it can be different. Um, and so, okay, let's, let's fast forward then to your, um, program talking about dating up versus dating mm-hmm. down. Tell me more about I, this. I don't know much about cause I'm not in the dating area. So yeah. in the arena, so <laughs> tell me well, about that. So it's not as much a focus on dating, which it sounds like it is, but it really isn't. It's really about how most of us strong, beautiful, brilliant, independent women choose partners that are not the right partners for us. And then we do everything in our power to try to make it work, even though it never was going to work to begin with. And so, you know, I have a double master's degree in health and education, undergrad undergrad in psychology. I have, you know, I'm a Reiki level two practitioner. I've got all these different degrees, all these different things that I do. I've always been a go-getter and an achiever and things like that. No one I ever dated was like that before. <laughs> they, they were not doing those things. You know, my, my first long-term boyfriend of seven and a half years was dyslexic. He was an electrician who hated going to work and was lazy as could be and had no interest in making his life better or more. He was happy doing the things he was. And 
for him, if that's what you want and you're someone, that's what you want to go to have your regular job, that is fine. So I'm not saying that that's wrong. It just wasn't the right fit for me. I was never going to do well with someone who was not also a go-getter, who was not also looking to do something more than themselves. Well, and clearly so, also because that was the straw that broke the camel's back in yeah. your marriage, right? Yes. I mean, that's, that's why I'm saying there's something about that that's so like, why is that the straw that broke the camel's back? But it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so over and over and over again, and I remember like we went to church every Sunday growing up and we were always helping other people. And I, I, I never wanted to feel better than anyone because to me still now, no one's better than anybody. So when I say dating up, I don't mean that you, that means you're better or you want to make sure that you're looking at someone who is in the same, like same values, same interests, same goals or, or similar, I should say, but similar goals. What is it that you're looking to achieve in your life? Because what happens with a lot of us is that, you know, maybe we're going against our parents. We want to date the bad guy or, you know, we, we see like, for me, I remember thinking how attractive it was for like someone who could like work with cars and work with their hands. And I thought that was so sexy, which is, is sexy, you know, but you can have someone like yesterday, my, my uh, tire went flat yesterday and my husband was out there fixing the flat and I was like, oh, swoon. <laughs> Right, There's right. just something about a guy like doing that that was so sexy. And, you know, you can have someone that has both of those things that mm. can actually work with their hands and, you know, drive a truck if they wanted to and also wear a black tie, you know, so you can have the whole thing that you're looking for. It's not some, a lot of women say that they have too high of expectations. I say the opposite. I think most women have too low of expectations. They deal with things they shouldn't deal with because they're afraid to be alone. They're afraid to be too much, to shine too brightly. For the person that we're, that we're with. And then we're told basically as women that you don't want to be, you don't want to overachieve because it makes the guy feel less masculine. So then we try to like lower ourselves down a little bit like, oh, well, you know, he's going to have this job, but I'm still going to do all the cooking and cleaning and childcare and all these other things when that should still be a partnership. So, you know, there's, there's a, it's a combination of all those things. So until you work on yourself, work on your self-esteem and boundaries and all those, those things, we're going to keep dating down. We're going to keep dating the, the person that's not right for us. We might've had great sex. We might've had, you know, those, those great fun times. Your, is it your drinking friends? Is it your sex friends? That's not necessarily your long-term relationship partner. So we have to differentiate between those two things. And if you want it to just be your friends with benefits, then that's what it is. But you don't want to make it into a relationship when it should never actually be one. Right. Don't fall in love with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But and that, that's hard. <laughs> you know, it is hard. And it's hard for women. I mean, I look back at my dating years and I know I did that too in a mm -hmm. lot of situations where it was like, you just want to be accepted. You just want to, you know, you're going to make yourself, you're trying to fit yourself into some mold that you don't really belong in. Mm -hmm. and, but you know, you think this is the way, what I need to do. This is what society tells me. I, I have somebody interested in me. Therefore I need to make them happy. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, it makes me ill. <laughs> you know, I have yeah. a daughter that I want to say, no girl, you just be you and let them come to you. You know, mm -hmm. like you don't go chasing after them. You let them come to you. And I think yeah. that that's actually uh, a change I have made in my marriage in recent years also in that, you know, in the beginning, I think I was still that in the beginning of my marriage, I was still mm -hmm. like, I'll have the babies and I'll clean them and I'll feed you and I'll do some work and I'll, I'll do it all. Don't worry. I'll do it all to prove to you. I can be the best wife and I'm a woman and I'm, you know, I'm a grown up now and I'm going to mm -hmm. take responsibility for all that. And now that I, I'm going to be 40, I just turned 44 a few months ago. And now I'm like, nah, 
I'm just going to be me and do what makes me happy and figure, you know, and I mean, not, not take care of my children, of course, course. my house or whatnot, but you know, you can do it too. You have two Mm -hmm. hands that that work and two legs at work. And same thing I tell my children, you know, it's my daughter said to me yesterday, this is really funny. Uh, she babysits for this beautiful woman. She might even listen to the podcast. So she babysits for this beautiful family. And, um, this woman cooks every day. She cooks. I mean, she's like my idol, right? She cooks every day. She has new ideas. I'm like, what do you guys want? You know, mac and cheese or Moe's like, yeah. So my daughter ate dinner there yesterday and she came home and she pronounced that, uh, I will no longer be eating anything that's not homemade in this house. And I was like, well, are you going to starve? Because you have two options here. Either you starve or you take it yourself. You, yeah. know, you have two hands at work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really trying to teach them too, right? As you're trying to like raise human beings yeah. to be responsible for you, you can help with others. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're the kid and I'm the mom. You can still cook. It doesn't matter if you're the husband and I'm the wife. You can mm-hmm. still go, you know, wash the dishes and do the laundry and you know, just trying to, to break the societal rules in your own home is difficult sometimes. You know, even yeah. the kids, they say, well, this is mommy's job. Mommy needs to do this. I'm like, why? You know, your dad is perfectly capable. And that's why we need to stand up for ourselves and, and say that. I mean, in, in my family, you know, I'm still, I'm the one who cooks, my husband not, but he'll vacuum, he cleans, he does all these other things. And he's, I mean, changing diapers in the beginning. He was like, I'll do it. He was so weirdly excited to change the diapers. I was like, please go do that. Cause that is not fun at all. <laughs> but you know, to have, it's a partnership. And so you're all partners. And so even with our, our, our kids, they're little still, but we always talk about it as a team, you know, this is the team. So, and a team, you all work together. So we talk about how we can help each other in the team. And so that's a big thing because whoever the little humans they're creating will become big humans. So when they're smaller, it's whatever issue, but that's going to be a way bigger issue if that is a 40 year old man and he's not getting what he wants. Mm-hmm. That's going to ruin his future relationships. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to teach him, Hey kid, you're going to have to deal with the fact you're not going to get everything you want every time. Yeah. Like that's how it is. We're going to have to deal with your anger issues now because anger issues now at this age is a way different ballgame than anger issues when you get older. Yeah. Somebody once told me you have to treat your kids like puppies, right? Like the puppies are cute, but don't let them do anything you wouldn't want a hundred pound dog doing, you know? <laughs> Good point. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things I really want to mention, one of the last points I want to make is something that just kind of keeps coming up. And when you're talking is that there are so many of us, and I'm going to include myself in this group that think of us as strong, powerful, independent women, and yet can't always speak our truth, can't always stand up for ourselves, don't always set up the right boundaries. And Mm -hmm. so I guess I really want to leave on the note where, you know, anybody that's listening, question yourself in that way. Are you a strong, independent, fierce woman doesn't mean that you can't cook dinner or that you can't, you know, that you can't do any of the things that you want to do. But more importantly, are you able to see your relationships for what they are? Are you able to speak your mind if they're not? Do you have that communication with your partner to, you know, create an environment where you can thrive and you don't have to shrink yourself? Because I think that's really the key, right? It's not how you live your life. You could work, you could not work, you could cook, you could not cook, you could be whoever Mm -hmm. you want to be as a woman. But the most important thing is, are you truly happy? Are your needs getting met? Are you taking care of yourself? And do you have enough self-worth to do all of that? Yeah, I think that's perfectly said because that's, you you know, are you living your best? Are you creating the life that you're happy with? And I think that's really important. If you're feeling like you're suppressing something, what can you do to change that? Yeah, amen. All right, so Stephanie, where can everybody find you? Because they need to find you. You're just amazing. 
<laughs> well, um, being loved shouldn't hurt is basically all of my everything. So I have a podcast on SoundCloud, um, YouTube, and Facebook, and IG. It's all being loved shouldn't hurt. Um, I'm actually doing a series right now called Brilliant Women Dating Up. I'm going to be starting a new private group for just women within that group. And I just want to throw out there that if anyone is saying, hey, I would like some assistance in making some changes, I've got two really big things coming up. One of them in January, I'm going to be starting a new program uh, for a six-month program for support, daily support in making changes, and it's going to be specific for you. So there's actually step-by-step -step, uh, program of what you can do. It's not like I was talking to someone today. She's like, oh, I, I hired a coach, and they just kind of let me be. I'm like, no, no, that's not, that's not how coaching is supposed to be. I'm going to let you be, but I'm going to tell you things to work on and then help you figure it out. So that's going to be a six-month program starting in January. And then actually February 15th to 22nd, I'm bringing 18 women to Costa Rica for a healing adventure retreat. And I'm actually going to be offering a VIP part of the program there as well with direct access to me personally and a champagne evening and a whole bunch of other really cool, fun things. But I mean, if you're looking for, if you're looking to take six months of healing and make it into one week, then the Costa Rica trip is really the one for you to go on. I mean, there's vegan cooking that's all like farm to table. So that's healing in and of itself. But then meeting all these other women and going, doing yoga, meditation, we're going to be looking at waterfalls. We're going to be doing, I mean, so many fun things to push our comfort levels and do it all together. I mean, it's going to be transformational for all the women that go. Sounds incredible. So, all right, you guys check out Stephanie. She is amazing. And please also refer her to anybody that you think might need help getting out of a relationship or is in a bad situation or just wants to improve themselves because she's an incredible resource. Um, and as always, I'm so grateful for you guys for listening to the podcast. You can find me at, at Jen Rosenbaum pretty much everywhere. And um, if you wouldn't mind giving us an awesome review on iTunes or wherever else you listen or Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it these days, <laughs> whatever those kids call it these days, uh, wherever you can find us. I appreciate it. Recommend this podcast to somebody that needs it. I love you all. Stephanie, thank you again for being here. You're welcome.